In the previous year, I discussed the well-known Gemara about Shimon HaAmsuni, who was so successful in acquiring Torah, in conquering Torah, in discovering deeper meanings to seemingly insignificant and superfluous words, such as the word S, and then was forced to surrender to the enormity of Torah. When he reached the Pasuk of Es Hashem recognizing that true Yirash Shemayim in general, and the brand of Yirash Shemayim which only Torah can convey, attunes a person to the inability of humankind to fully grasp Hashem's Torah to the breaking and indomitable sweep of Torah Hashem. So the truth is that this question, to discuss in a general way, general issues about how we view Torah and how we view Yerashamayim in Torah, also affects, and this duality, on the one hand we want to understand Torah and, and understand Hashem through Torah and feel like we acquire Torah, and on the other hand we are forced to surrender, to succumb to the indecipherability of Torah and its infinity, does affect the actual experience of Talmud Torah, not just the overall perception and viewpoint of Talmud Torah. So, for example, there's a very interesting, very thought-provoking Gemara in Brachos on Dav Gimel. Gemara is talking about the Urim Vitumim. The Urim Vitumim located in the breastplate of the Queen Gadol and provided divine knowledge, divine answers. It was, one could say, a source of Torah and the source of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, knowledge the days of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara quotes a Pasuk from Shmuel Bey's Parachaf, in which the Urmetumim are also referred to as Krasi Uplesi. Interestingly enough, Dionysus and Ibishitz wrote to Svarim, many Svarim, but two of his Svarim, one was a parish on Choshe Mishpat, one was a parish on Dini Isr Vahetar. The parish on Choshe Mishpat he called Urmetumim. Very well known, safe, very hard safer to learn, but extremely insightful Sefer. And he also wrote a Sefer on Dine Surim, which he called Crazy Uplesi, based on this Gemara, which sees the two as two different names for the same aspect or the same object in the base of Mikdash. So the Urim Tumim, the Gemara knows why it's called Urim Tumim. Or, Urim means to provide light, Tumim means complete, Taras Hashem Tamima. These are words, Urim Tumim which are clearly identified with Torah, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will delivered to man, be it through Torah, be it through the Ormetumim, be it through the Sanhedrin, as the Gemara is talking about in Brachos as well. So that makes perfect sense. But the Gemara wants to know why is the word of Hashem, why is it referred to as crazy um, Uplesi? So the Gemara says, Lama Nikra Shmam Kresi Uplesi, Crazy, shakorsim divrahim. Placey, shemufloim divrahim. The Gemara, in some ways, sees the words crazy and placey as contradictory, not complementary. Obviously, this the complementary, this complement and contradiction. But on the surface, they're contradictory. Crazy comes from the word to cut. Kares buris lechrod means to cut. The words of the Urm Vitumim were cut, were clearly defined. Rashi 
שאומרים דברים קצובים וגמורים. Clearly delimited קצובים, גמורים, articulated, sharp, שלא יפחתו ולא יוסיפו, you couldn't add to them, you couldn't subtract. As we would say, they were clearly defined, and that definition was obviously when you have Torah that is defined, the definition is arrived at by classification, dissection, analysis, you determine the limit of a concept, the application, and basically you sharpen the definition of an item by cataloging, classifying, defining, and analyzing. Some would call, in modern context, the brisker derech. Brisker derech uses what some people refer to as the scientific method. Scientific method means you collect all the data about a halacha. You're discussing the halacha of uh, tefillin. How do you put it on? How do you knot it? How do you manufacture it? And each detail that you encounter in the Gemara helps you understand the definition of tefillin better. How do you articulate the mitzvah? What does the mitzvah entail? You induce the principle from the specific detail. So Torah, in this case, it's referring to the Torah, or the answers given from the Urim Betumim. Torah is meant to be cursing Devraim. But on the other hand, Torah is also Mufloim Devraim. The word placey contradicts the word crazy. Placey means it's a pella. You can't understand it. It's beyond. It's too mysterious, too broad too wild and chaotic rather than defined and manicured. And the Gemara thereby captures this duality, this almost paradox within how we access Torah. Because that's what the Gemara is really referring to. It's not talking about the experience of Talmud Torah per se as we know it. Gemara Brachos is describing questions in Halacha that arose and they asked the Sanhedrin and they asked the Rambetumim and the Sanhedrin provided its response and the Rambetumim provided its response. But effectively, functionally, those responses were Torah responses. So the medium wasn't Talmud Torah from a Sefer, but the responses were Torah content responses. And the responses, at least they received from the Urim Vitumim, or the Crazy and Placey, were on the one hand very cut, dry, cut and dry, not dry, but cut and dry, defined, organized, catalog, clearly, clearly articulated. On the other hand, they were placey, they were mufloyan, they were beyond human comprehension. The word tell means a mystery, unknown. And this is the duality of Torah, experientially, which the Gemara is trying to describe. On the one hand, every person wants to try to, I use the word conquer or capture Torah, not in a militant way, but to apply your mind, to be driven, as I mentioned in Fushium earlier, it's not just an intellectual query, but it's also an emotional uh, mission. But to learn Torah, to study Torah, to assimilate Torah, those who study Torah with more creativity, not just to gather the information and catalog it, although that itself is creativity, right? Creativity doesn't just mean comparison and learning one thing from another, but sometimes just the way you gather and retain information and organize information, even if you haven't produced new information, that, that takes creativity. But certainly, as the Rambam describes in Rechus Talmud Torah, the ideal learning is inferring, comparing, contrasting, creating new ideas. Torah Shabbat Peh is meant to be a dynamic, ongoing, evolving process. A marriage of the human mind to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, in which human beings don't just recover meaning, but create meaning within the the integrity of the system. You want to maintain the integrity of the system, but the system itself is meant to be flexed. 
as the Gemara in Kiddushin says. The Gemara in Kiddushin talks about the Rishonim. Obviously not the way we refer to the Rishonim, the medievalists, but the Gemara is referring to earlier generations who are called Sofrim. Why were they called Sofrim? So in the modern context, the word Sofrim means a scribe who writes Torah. But the original Sofrim were called Sofrim because they counted. They counted the letters in the Torah. They discovered that the Vav of the word Gachon in Parsha Shemini, that big Vav in the end of Parsha Shemini, is the middle letter of the Torah. The words Darosh, Darash in Parsha Shemini are the middle words of the Torah. And all the other letters which were meant to be midpoints or landmarks in Torah. They were letter counters. And since they were letter counters and word counters, they were called Sofrim. Now, we may see this as very technical drudgery to count letters. Anyone can count letters. But counting is the first stage of creativity. Not literally counting. The first stage of creating is you have to first define your field of inquiry. What are you thinking about? What are you not thinking about? Well, what are you looking at? Any analysis is to first define the analytic scope before or else the analysis just falls apart by chaotic and unregulated association. So before you can start to uh, analyze Tari, first you have to slice it up. What's the first part of Torah? What's the second part of Torah? So what's the first part of Torah letter-wise until the Vav? The second part of Torah letter-wise is after the Vav. The first part of Torah word-wise is Darosh. The second part is the second Darosh, Darash. So here's a sense of people who looked at Torah as a, as a body of knowledge that can be reined in, that can be controlled by the human mind and controlled in an attempt to better understand and better catalog it in human convention and human definition. But as much as a human being tries to define and to articulate a Kurdish Baruch's Torah, it remains beyond human ken, beyond human sweet. As much as you try to cut it and dissect it and slice it crazy, it remains placey. And this duality, which the Gemara in Brachos describes within the very word latent, within the word crazy and placey, is a duality that, to a degree, Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech each put their finger on, or each targeted different parts of this paradox. I'll start, ironically, with David, because Kodesh uh, Baruch Hu questioned David's perplexion he challenged David based on what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So let's follow the discussion. David Amalek, three times in Tehillim, describes the mysterious level of Torah. The Torah can't be, can't be penetrated by the human ration, can't be fully comprehended. It's too far, too much of a placey. So, for example, in Parakuf Lamites, he describes Plia das mimeni. Your wisdom is too much of a plea, too uh, mysterious, too perplexing. Too much of a riddle. Nisgivah, too high. Highfalutin, not highfalutin, but too transcendent. Lo'uchala, I can't. I just can't acquire it. Until in Kofiotes, plos edosecha. Your edos, your knowledge, your Torah, is also plos, the mystery. Alkein yitzara samnashi. Here David Amalek isn't expressing his own frustration or inability, but since it's so mysterious, therefore I... I'm able, or I'm more careful to adhere to the mitzvahs. We talked last week here that sometimes if you know you don't understand the Kaddish Baruch Hu's will, you're less analytical, you feel less empowered to apply it, you just feel it has to be accepted as a divine mandate. So 
they're impenetrable, therefore more careful to guard them, to preserve them. Probably the most famous statement of David HaMelech, and maintaining that same word, placey, or as the Gemara said, in Kufiyotes, as you know, in each Patsik in Kufiyotes, each letter is a Psukim, so David HaMelech writes, Gal Enai, open my eyes, Hashem, so that I could see the wonder, the mystery, the niflos of your Torah. So this Pasuk, probably more than the previous two Pesukim, describe the niflos of Torah. They use the word Torah, not just bedas Hashem, which can mean general knowledge of Hashem, but here Torah refers to Torah per se, the corpus of Torah. So, here the word niflos is applied to Torah. But it's not just the application of the word niflos as a modifier for Torah. It's also David Amalek recognizing that his own eyes, and not just his optic eyes, but his own intellect, his own cerebral capacity, is incapable of understanding Torah. <coughs> so he asks Hashem, Gal I open my eyes. You must help me see it. I can't acquire Torah on my own. And the matters described David Amalek as expressing some of this, I wouldn't call it frustration, it's hard to know whether it's frustration, fatalism would be too harsh a term, but difficulty, challenged. So in the Medrash, in Parshas Nitzavim, the Medrash quotes Hashem responding to David HaMelech. So Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu David, Ata Amarta Puli Adas Mimeni, Describing the Pasuk in this case, Kuflamites, but it could be said about all the Psukim. The other two Psukim in Kufites as well, you're saying it's too hard for you. Kvar Kedamcha Moshe Rabcha Moshe Rabbein already, um, already asserted otherwise. The Amar, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? Very famous Pasuk. It is a niflos, the exact opposite of what David said. David said, Gal niflos. Moshe said, It isn't distant. It's not in the heavens. It's easily, in quotes, attainable. So the Medrash itself, Mentions that Kadosh Baruch Hu responds as it were to David. Don't think that it's niflais. It isn't niflais. So make up your mind. Is it niflais? Is Moshe right or is David right? Both were written. If, if David and Melch wasn't right, it shouldn't have been written in Ksuvim. The answer is, it's a paradox. I mean, look, part of the answer is that David and Melch and Moshe are each voicing in their own way, based on their own personality and their own approach to Avodah Hashem, the different parts of the paradox. Tillim is always, is, is very much full of uncertainty and underconfidence and struggling to find meaning. And it's not just David HaMelech's nature, but it's also David HaMelech's state of mind. And much of Tehillim is written in a moment of tsara and a moment of challenge and crisis, whether moral crisis at the Chayda Batsheva, political crisis, a personal, uh, personal peril, which Moshe is writing at the end of his life. And Moshe does express a certain degree of confidence, not arrogance, but the Torah can be acquired. Not just the difference in Moshe Rabbeinu's attitude and David Melech's attitude, but who they were speaking to. David Melech, the most of Tehillim, is, is a personal uh, a personal voice. Moshe in Devarim, Paraglamet, is talking to Am Yisrael literally 
literally on the day he's about to die, when he'll no longer be available, or after which he'll no longer be available to disseminate Torah, and he wants to provide Amiso with a sense that this experience of Torah has to continue. And now the burden is shifted from me to you. You have to study Torah, and you have to feel that empowerment that you can acquire Torah. So Moshe and David are each uniquely qualified to articulate the respective aspects of the paradox. But taken as a whole, it's the exact same paradox as the Gemara in Brachos, as the phrase, crazy uplacy, and it's an even sharper distillation of the paradox simply because that same word that David HaMelech claims characterizes Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu rejects. David HaMelech says, Niflos mitarazecha, Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, Niflos And it's an important paradox, not to resolve, but since Torah is so paradoxical, because it's a human being trying to encounter Hashem, and that is a mismatch, it's so paradoxical, and the paradox has to be preserved, not just theoretically. Paradox has to be preserved practically as well. Let me describe two practical considerations that stem from the paradox of crazy uplacy, or the paradox of David versus Moshe, Niflos, or Lo On the one hand, a question that occupies a lot of people today. Today we live... 200 years or so after the great yeshiva movement began. Before 1801, when Chaim opened the Velazhani yeshiva, people didn't learn in large yeshivas. I mean, you could go back in time, back to the Spanish era, which there were actual yeshivas, but people learned with the local rab, with the local rabbanim, the local kolal, people sat together and learned. There was less of an of a articulation of what the derech halimud was, how do we learn, how do we not learn, how do we approach Torah. Now, um, all of a sudden when yeshivas are built and people are grouping together in larger units, in larger assemblies, and obviously chasidus has an impact as well, there's an attempt to articulate what is the right derech to learn. This obviously is always something people think about, but even more so. And we are the heirs of that whole process. And today, a lot of questions of Pilpul versus Lambdas. Within Lambdas, this derech or that derech, more literal, less literal, more uh, sugiatic, trying to trace a sugya throughout all of its manifestations in Shas, rather than keeping to the daf, Rishonim, Achronim, more personal thinking, more just registering or starting by registering everyone else's opinion, those that have written others for him. It's an important question because, unfortunately, we don't really have as much resources time-wise to study Torah, unfortunately. So let's say when a boy comes to the yeshiva at the age of 17, this may be his only year in yeshiva, sadly enough. It's important that with the time, the sadly limited most pathetically limited resources available, how we best maximize the process. But sometimes that question of derech bleeds into a dangerous question. What is the way to learn Torah? It's a loaded question. It's also an ugly question for many reasons. But specifically, in the context of what the Gemara and Brachos describes and and Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech, especially David HaMelech, the whole word derech 
if it's taken too seriously, if it's taken, as I would say, say, objectively rather than subjectively. Subjectively, it makes sense. Limited time, limited resources. What derech should you study? But if this is the one derech to study Torah, morality aside and tolerance aside, and, and, and even and even a Baruch infinity aside, there's more than one derech because Hashem is so infinite. But the word derech is not applicable because th- there is no way to really classify and capture Torah. It's just beyond human beings. I just said it's multi-layered and multi-faceted. Uh, and there are different ways to, different angles to approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But just, a derech is, is so handicapped to begin with. There's no, the, the, the most important part of a derech is the recognition of that derech's ineptitude to fully conquer HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. Which I'm having a hard time separating from a related question. The fact that it's so hard for any one derech to conquer HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will is in and of itself the recognition that there are other drachim to conquer other aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah more capably than your derech. So ultimately, the question is a very, very pragmatic and subjective one. Given the time I have to learn, what's for me the best derech that I personally enjoy, that I feel that gets me into the closest degree of MS that I'm most capable of doing that my rebbies have taught me. Unfortunately today, the concept of derech halimud becomes very absolutist and exclusive and sometimes patronizing. He has a derech, he doesn't have a derech. To put it into the terminology of brachos, daf gimel, or to put it into the other terminology, even a person who has a derech doesn't really have a derech. It's also just a very relative, relative question as to how you best want to apportion your time. But we have to, in my opinion, take away some of the heat or the hot air that sometimes is associated with the term derech halimut. So that's one practical issue that stems from this broader question. A second practical issue is articulated by a Gemara Kiddushin. Gemara wants to know whether a Rav can be Mochel on his cover. Father can be Mochel on his cover, can a Rav. So Yosef claims he can. Why not? If a father can, then a Rebbe can. Rav disagrees. Rav says, after all, the cover that is due a Rebbe is not personal. The cover due a Rebbe is because the Torah teaches you. That Torah is Hashem's cover. The Rebbe doesn't have the ability or the license to waive the cover due him, which really reflects upon Hashem. You're being Mechabed Hashem when you're Mechabed a Rebbe. Also something that people oftentimes mistake when we see Rabbanim, Rashi Yeshiva, who expect and demand cover. Sometimes in the modern parlance we find that distasteful. And indeed many Rebbeim, and the way I was trained, and the Rebbeim that I saw try to distract Kabod and be, be self-effacing and not insist upon it. If anything, try to, try to avoid it. Mitam anivas, from a humility standpoint. But we can't deny that there are Rabbanim. A lot in the previous generation in particular, I just mentioned Rav Hutner, those of you who were familiar with Rav Hutner, knew that he was very insistent on the cover that Talmudim showed him. Many of the older generation European Rabbanim were insistent. Uh, those who studied in Yeshiva's Karen Biyavna, speak about the Rosh Hashivas, Nechat Tzadik Lebracha, of Goldberg, the son who was very insistent that they be treated with the proper respect. And for many people in the modern context, this seems very uh, abusive, very exploitative. People don't realize that in most cases, obviously it could be abused and all power could be abused and all authority, but in most cases, at its best, 
Rabbanim were trying to train people as to true Kavadah Torah. They thought, uh, maybe in deep down, they distasted it. But they felt that this was a way to teach a Talmud to instruct about true Kavadah Torah. Because if you're not showing cover to me, you're showing cover to Torah and Tachadish Baruch Hu, and I have to be the conduit or the the uh, the, re- the the representative of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Torah. So Rava in Kedushin Daflamid Bay says that the Rebbe can't be Machal because it's not his cover; it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's cover. So Rabbi Yosef responds. Rabbi Yosef doesn't give up. I'm sorry, it's not Rabbi Yosef. Rava actually changes his mind. Rava returns to agree with Rabbi Yosef that a Rebbe can be Mocha. says, Ahadar Amarava in Torah Dilehu. It is the Torah of a person. Dichtiv, and he quotes the Pasuk in Tehillim. Pasuk in Tehillim says, it's a very interesting Pasuk, because it's probably Pasuk which also captures the paradox. What should the Tzadik pursue? Should pursue the Torah of Hashem. So who owns the Torah? It's Hashem. Hashem's Torah. It's obvious. Torah is Hashem. Torah is Hashem to me. But the Pasuk continues. Uvisaraso. Yege Yom Valayla. Fortunate is the man, Ashreyesh, that studies Torah so. Here, Torah so refers back to the antecedent, which is the man. It becomes the Torah of the man who's studying. So, Rabbi ultimately agreed with the Beelzev. It becomes the Torah acquired by the man. It's not just Torah Hashem, it's Torah so. By learning day and night. And since it's Torah so, that person would have the right to be Machal on his cover. And he agrees with the Beelzev that a Rebbe can be Machal on his cover. Because Torah transitions from this immutable, transcendent Torah Hashem into Torah Sa, or as we would call it, Torah Adam, the Torah of a human being. So here is a different articulation of the paradox with a specific expression. Can a Rebbe be Machal on his cover? But if we generalize the Gemara and Kedushin, it doesn't just speak to the question of whether a Rebbe can be Machal on his couple. That's not, a, that's not a burning issue in every single aspect of a person's day-to-day routine. A Rebbe walks into a room, should you stand up if the Rebbe doesn't want it? It's not the, the most burning issue, but the larger issue is, how should a person see his Torah? How should a person relate to his experience of Talmud Torah? The sense that you are entering a realm which isn't yours, you're a guest, as it were, in Akadosh Baruch Hu's world. The Rav talked about Birchas HaTorah. Why do we make a Birchas HaTorah? It's one of the only two brachas, which is Deir Isa. Birchas HaMazon is Deir Isa, the bracha on food after we eat, and Birchas HaTorah. Ki Shem Hashem Ekra. When I say the name of Hashem, which is case Torah, which is I mentioned in the first year as a metaphor, for Torah Shem Hashem, it's the name of Hashem, the way we access Hashem. Make a bracha. Why make a bracha? So based on the Rambam, in the beginning of Hukhul's brachos, the Rav claimed that a bracha satara is, is like a bracha sanen, it's like a bracha you'd make on an apple, lahavdil. It's a matir. Just like the Gemara bracha says in Bethlehem, hey, Astra le'adam le'hanos minolam azebeli bracha, you can't get hana from this world without a bracha. It's matir the hana. Similarly, you can't learn Hashem's tarot. It's not your tarot, Hashem's tarot. Keep me tarot, Hashem. You're partaking in something of Hashem. On the other hand, it should also be your Torah. What does it mean, your Torah? How does that affect our experience? A person have the right to feel pride is a bad word. To personalize Torah, to feel like this is a sugya, I created an idea, I put together some Rishonim, a, 
my Torah. This is a Torah that I've created, not in an arrogant way. Rabbi Yochanan, says, if you learned a lot of Torah, I'll talk to Don't be proud. Of course, you're not proud. You're created to study Torah, but is there a sense, oh, this is a, my Chiddush. I'm really proud of the Chiddush. It's something I want, I want to defend. Um, I know in Yeshiva, we, uh, we have that question very often about what type of environment the base matter should be like. On the one hand, you're sitting in front of a Gemara, in front of Hashem's Torah, and not everything is appropriate behavior, not every form of dress, not every form of expression. On the other hand, at a very practical level, you want the base matter to be a comfortable place. A comfortable place where people feel comfortable spending uh, sizable uh, durations of time studying Torah. I remember I once uh, was asked by someone, I wasn't really asked, but that's the question almost in a challenge. I heard this person, he learned Torah in his pajamas, and they, they lodged it as a complaint. He's not really serious about his Torah. I said, I'm not so sure that's a bad idea. I don't know if it comes to the base medicine in his pajamas, it's a good thing. But if he gets into his pajamas and he's not yet tired and he wants to open a safer, I'd see that as a wonderful thing. So I think there are many areas of this question of Torah Sa'adam versus Torah Sashem. Aside from Derech, I think Derech is the biggie. How much investment, how serious do you take that word derech? And I take it very seriously, but I have to be careful that it shouldn't become distended and, and completely, completely, as I said before, in some cases, ugly, missing the point. But do you see Torah as conquerable, humanizable, or do you see Torah as this transcendent, otherworldly experience? And ultimately, as with every paradox, particularly the paradoxes in religion and specifically the paradoxes at the interface between HaKadosh Baruch and human beings, it has to be both. It has to be both. If a person is going to cry, a river of tears, every time they open a piece in the Pnei Yoshua, crying out of fear and their hands tremble because they're embarking on understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah, they'll spend so much time crying and, and feeling that they're nothing, that they won't accomplish anything in Torah. You have to have a sense. It's a bit of an ego almost. I can build, I can break this so I can understand it. I can get to the root of it. I can a sense of calm, and this is something I've done before. This is an area that human talent can control. On the other hand, to lose that sense of magic and mystery, simply because for you Torah is all clarity and lucidity, that would also be a very dangerous. That would that would miss the point. It would miss the sense of what you're pursuing, the transcendence of the moment. And how those two elements are reconciled or, or uh, mutually uh, preserved, I think it's personal. I think it's what makes religion so personal. There really is no way for any map to be provided as to how to reconcile Ava versus Yira, the clarity of Torah versus the mystery of Torah, and other areas of Avodah Hashem, which can only be enriched by preserving the paradoxical elements of the greater whole.